Because no race has the last word on culture and on civilization. They do not know what we are capable of. They do not know what we are thinking. They are thinking in terms of dreadnoughts, battleships, aeroplanes, submarines. You know what we are thinking about? That is our own private business. You are listening to The Brown CEO. listening to the brown ceo i'm your host selma idris follow the conversation every week as i speak to some of the dopest minds from around the planet about what's broken and how we're going to fix it this is the conversation between us every tuesday yalla let's go hi tracy how are you i'm good how are you Uh, Thank you for joining us today. So, Tracy, I mentioned that you are the uh, co-founder and CEO of Kaiso Cocktails. That's right. Uh, Do you want to tell me a little bit about Kaiso? Sure. So, Kaiso is actually inspired by African roots. Uh, Kaiso is a coconut water cocktail. It's a ready-to-drink beverage that's made with coconut water, tequila, and vodka. Uh, We launched in New York um, about a year and a half ago. And as I said at the beginning, it's inspired by our... Caribbean and African roots. Kaiso is actually uh, from an African word. It's from the Hausa language. And in Trinidad speak, uh, Kaiso is tied to our musical heritage. So mm-hmm. it is the grandfather of Calypso music, which is originating in Trinidad. And Kaiso is sort of like what you would say in American, in the American side is sort of like preach. It means when you really, <laughs> when you really hit the note on something, it comes from our giving a social commentary on the political ills of the day. And when these Calypso singers would, in their unique style, uh, criticize the government and the audience would hear them uh, really deliver a zinger. They would say, Kaiso, Kaiso. So we wanted to take that joyful expression and convert that into something that we all enjoy today, which uh, happens to be an adult beverage. Beautiful, mm-hmm. beautiful. So what's your origin story? How did, how did you get here? Um, Oh, how did I get here? Yeah, how, so many how did ways. you become a brand CEO? How many, how many ways? So my, I was born in Canada. Mm-hmm. I'm a first generation uh, Caribbean Canadian, I guess. We don't really use that term, but for all intents and purposes, Caribbean Canadian. My parents are from mm-hmm. Trinidad and Tobago, the southernmost island in the Caribbean, uh, approximately 10 miles off the coast of Venezuela. They actually met in Canada, but uh, they are both born in Trinidad and Tobago and moved to Canada in the 60s. And I spent most of my life until my adult years living in Canada and uh, always had a bit of an entrepreneurial, I guess, halo around the family, around my parents. My father was a physician, uh, was self-employed. My mother was a nurse and also had multiple businesses growing up. So there's always been in our blood, if you will, some kind of business uh, acumen or some interest in self-liberation through choosing your own employment, as I guess the best way to say it. Um, but I never, you know, I was always curious about Africa, but because it was a little bit distant from my immediate mm-hmm. experience with my roots, it was very much focused on the Caribbean uh, lifestyle and the Caribbean, Caribbean way of life. I didn't have the, the same energy about exploring my African origins as I did really when I moved to the United States about 18 years ago and started to see how blackness was expressed and experienced differently. Mm-hmm. And that sort of cultivated more interest in me in going back home. Cool. Well, when I actually, when you said when you moved back to the U.S., that's how we're connected. So yes. how are we connected? Uh, I met Tracy <clears throat> 
back at, in agency life, mm-hmm. uh, we were both uh, in creative uh, brand strategists, visual and verbal identity specialists. Mm, I like how that sounds. <laughs> it does sound good, right? <laughs> um, so yeah, we met about 15 years ago, and I think it's important to explore how people are connected because you you know you understand the networks that that help connect us and bring each other up. Um, so Tracy and I, um, you know, we're the only ones, found each other across the room, <laughs> didn't trust her at first, but uh, yeah, after, after seeing her, you know, blaze her, her way through a few situations was like, yeah, that's family. Uh, yeah, so fast forward 15 years later, mm-hmm. um, yeah, she's a fellow entrepreneur and we support each other as much as possible. Right. Um, and With the Thanksgiving table. Exactly. Thanksgiving if y'all dinner. haven't <laughs> tried Kaiso, Kaiso is delicious mm-hmm. and I, I, I recommend all y'all go out there and either ask your liquor store for it or um, if they don't have it already, get yourself a box. We are men. We have hopes, we have passions, we have feelings, we have desires just like any other race. The cry is raised all over the world of Canada for the Canadians, of America for the Americans, of England for the English, of France for the French, of Germany for the Germans. Do we take it unreasonably? We, the blacks of the world, should raise the cry of Africa for the Africans. I've known Tracy for 15 years now. Tracy is a world traveler. She speaks several languages. She's very highly educated. Uh, she's a boss. Uh, Tracy's first time to the continent yeah. is kind of it was a surprise to me that it was the first time. Um, me being East African myself, so mm-hmm. I go home a lot. I haven't been to West Africa yet, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but um, yeah, I go back home a lot, and it, I'm always amazed when I meet. Um, brown folks who have the means, who may even have the desire. I always want to know why. Why haven't you been home? Um, so maybe we can start there. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, it was. I think there's there's such an interesting dynamic because, as somebody who, when you ask about my origin story, you know, my origin story for the longest time to me, has been about being Trinidadian. So to me, when you say going home, I equate going home with going to Trinidad because that's the closest mm-hmm. connection and the next level of understanding that I have of where I'm from. In fact, even though my parents are both from Trinidad, Trinidad is a very ethnically diverse country. For such a small island, um, twin islands, Trinidad and Tobago, changed hands many, many times. Um, my parents, although both from you know, a very small towns, very small parts of the country. Um, my mother is half East Indian. So not only do I have African roots, I have East Indian roots. I have white roots from my mother's mother's side. Uh, so to me, home was Trinidad. Africa was the motherland, but it was a bit of a distant mother. It wasn't like my immediate thought when I associate still to this day going home, mm-hmm. I still think about Trinidad. But as I said, coming living in America and living in New York, ethnically diverse as well, but just experiencing blackness in a different way, my blackness in a different way, I think it sensitized me more about needing to connect to Africa as the or you know the, the first link in the chain. Trinidad might have been a stop along the way then moving to Canada, then coming to the U.S. But I had to go back to the beginnings. And there just came a point for me where, you know, I lived in Europe, I traveled throughout Europe, and I felt like I don't want to spend any more of my money, of my own money, 
flying to Europe until I go to Africa. I think that's interesting about what you said because you, when you were talking, you were like, yeah, you know, going home for me <clears throat> was basically one of the only reasons why you would go to the continent, mm -hmm. which is interesting. It's just like, oh, I either travel or I am going to have this rite of passage and go home yeah. as opposed to just adding, adding, add, you know, awesome destinations on the continent as part of our travel vernacular. Right. Um, you know, there's Dakar. There's, 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 we'll go to a third world country that's still under colonial rule, mm -hmm. a still developing, we'll go to the Bahamas, a developing nation. Right. Which, don't get me wrong, that's a diaspora capital as well. Our people mm -hmm. are there. But we'll go under their control, but we won't go, you know, spend our tourism dollars in cities like Mombasa right. or in Zanzibar. So that that's kind of also an interesting conversation for me to have with folks because it is, it's just, we talk about it as such this, this laborious rite of passage as opposed it's to... It's so loaded. It's so to Paris. It's you know. so loaded emotionally. I think that by going, particularly for me going to West Africa because of what we know of the, of the European slave trade and what we are conditioned to believe about Africa and countries in Africa. I love that when you say the continent... It's the way people in the, in New York say the city. Like you know, you mean New York City when you say the continent. You don't mean South Af South it's America. Only one. You don't mean <laughs> Australia. You don't. Mean, you're like the continent. Therefore, it must be Africa. And I yeah. love that. I love it. But you know, it's so emotionally loaded as as somebody who does not have direct family ties that I know of in Africa. To to go there is such it's such a heavily weighted uh, decision or heavily weighted trip to be like I'm going to step in the steps of my forefathers and my ancestors. Well, we have to fix that. Yeah, I we think I, I think now the, now that the seal has been broken in a way, yeah. it just becomes another destination. Like, oh, I'll go to South Africa the way I would go to Argentina or go to Paris. Or like you said, it, it's no, there's no big deal mm -hmm. now to go. It's yeah. just that first trip going to West Africa, specifically one of the, the seats of the European slave trade, Going through the journey, you know, it has a, a, a different emotional weight than even going to South Africa or going to something on the east eastern side or North Africa, Northern African countries. So how did you, how was your experience going home? Tell me about that, that like the lead up to it and the landing. It was, I... it was incredibly profound, you know, I think. I was so caught up. I happened to be in Canada visiting my family before I went, so it was like, such a such a rush getting ready to to go and when i was leaving new york to fly home i had to pack all my stuff for africa and pack for the frigid canadian temperatures so you're not even in the mind space yet of like wait a minute i'm going to africa like okay, i'm going ghana. home I'm going ghana. to africa ghana. you know i'm going to ghana yeah. so it's like i couldn't even internalize what that trip was going to mean until i actually got to canada and just paused and breathed for a minute and said it's really happening. Like I've been talking about this trip for months. I've been saying for years that I want to go. And when I touched, when I touched road or touched the ground, it was like, it, I can't say it was, it was anticlimactic in the way of this just looks like Trinidad. Like to me, it was like, there was no, nothing visually that stood apart to me. Like oh, I'm in Af I'm in Ghana now. It was like, I could have closed my eyes blinked and I could have been anywhere in the islands. I felt completely at home. And that was remarkable in its unremarkableness. It was like all this time I had built up that it was going to be this completely foreign and just 
unfamiliar. And when I stepped off the plane, was like, I'm basically in poor Spain. Yep, I'm home. Yeah, that's how you felt. Yeah, I felt like I had no, I had no worries. I I didn't feel nervous. I didn't feel like I had to clutch my bag. All the stereotypes just vaporized. I'm like, I'm home. Everyone looked like me. I just moved like I normally moved, and that was amazing. How's Accra? Accra was beautiful. Accra was lively. It was full of energy. You know, people are out there trying to do their thing just like anywhere else. You know, I think maybe we're exposed to a lot of people from the continent living in New York City. So it's just like an extension of a lot of the experiences you have here. Like, I don't, it's not strange to see people selling fruits or, or produce or merchandise or selling food or just doing the things that they do everyday living is just the hustle and bustle and the energy of people trying to do better for themselves. And I'm here for it. I mean, it was, it was amazing to just be experiencing that actually in Ghana and seeing like, we're the same. Do you think that it affected the way in which you'll do business moving forward? Going, having visited Ghana? Mm -hmm. Definitely. I mean, I, I said to somebody, you know, it, Having moved to the United States and at the time when I did, when I would go to places like when I would go to Brooklyn, for example, I could go days and not see and only see black people. And that is not the case today. Brooklyn today is not the Brooklyn of 15 years ago. And being in Accra reminded me of that experience of like everybody you see on the streets looks like you. you it takes you a minute to realize, like, I haven't seen a white person for five days. I've just seen black people doing everyday people things, working in stores, treating patients, teaching kids, whatever they're doing. And it made me even more want to figure out my place in the ecosystem of the diaspora and how do I continue to build businesses and tap into the strength and the power of being of African what, descent. Can you see yourself living in a crop? I don't see, I, I don't see myself not living there. Like I could see myself living in Ghana, sure. I could see myself doing business in Ghana, back and forth. I'll always be a global person because I have family ties on this coast. Would I relocate there permanently? Maybe not, but I can absolutely see myself having an extension of my business there. Yeah, and that's kind of what we want to promote here because it's not, you know, there's there's several cities that I would or wouldn't live in in the U.S. Right. But it's to, the fact that you've opened that bridge and are aware of it and are open culturally to it is beautiful. Yeah, I think I would I would love to see African nations really embrace and encourage and create incentives for their children because I consider myself to be a child of Africa. Make make room for your children to come back, <laughs> to come back. Make it make it easy. Don't not because we're going to come because we want to come and we want to experience, we want to learn, we want to be a part of it break down those barriers because to me that was as devastating as the European slave trade was. It continues to be perpetuated by the loss of intellectual capital, that 400 years of scraping the skills and the minds of people of African descent and them not making their way home mm -hmm. to improve the fortunes of the countries from of which they came. It's an ongoing insult. It's an ongoing deficit yep. that needs to be And when the import is made for folks to come in and, and work on in, 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 in these African economies, it's not us. 
Right. It's not people of the African diaspora right. directly, you know. It's it's they go to, you know, Asia and Europe right. heavily. And you see it throughout these corporations that we're not going back and taking these leadership positions. Mm-hmm. And where there is opportunity to move forward and move up. Um so yeah, no, no, that's a, that's a very interesting point, and it's, and it's it's great to see folks go home and just see the fact that these are cities you're going back to, right? Like Accra is one of the is it the largest city? Is it the most bumping city in Africa right now? I it's believe the, so. Yeah, yeah. Ghana is one of the most populated countries mm-hmm. on the planet. It's like forty fifth in the in, on the planet. Um, it's a forward moving economy, and President Nana has actually put in tons of incentives for African-Americans to move back and travel back. And that's why you're seeing a lot more travel back to Ghana. Well, this is the year of the return, right? They declared 2019 in the 400th anniversary of the European slave trade and trying to make a big marketing push to bring people uh, back to Ghana and to experience our journey as, you know, how to actually make that travel physically make those take those steps and connect the dots for yourself mm-hmm. you know i think that's i think it's great i think it's the first step first of the continuation of many steps that have come before but there's something that's changed i don't know if it's post black panther uh, <laughs> runoff but there's something that's changed i think in the psyche and the energy and the will of yeah. people of the diaspora to made them hungry well the butterfly effect is real We've seen yeah. it across. It's not. It's not brown exclusive, right? Right. Because you know we've seen the Arab Spring. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. We've seen you know Europe in turmoil. We've seen here. I mean, like this is uh, Trump being elected. Is it? Is is the U.S. flipping it over? It's mm-hmm. just not flipped over in the direction we wanted to flip over. Right. But you know, this is their own Arab Spring. Mm-hmm, They're mm-hmm. saying no. This is not what the people want. So we're seeing it everywhere, and we are establishing in some sense if not a complete new world order, but um, a, a, a new system, new systems are forming. And this is when there is opportunity for folks to come together and say, you know what, if we're shaking things up, if we're going to deconstruct stuff, let's reconstruct it back in a way that we can actually yeah. participate in this economy. And I think it's really important for the children that have left 400 years ago, 500 years ago, to the children that left you know, 15, 20 years ago mm-hmm. in my case, mm-hmm. you know, 40 years ago or whatever, 39 years ago, I'm dating myself. You ain't that old girl. You know, you know, don't, don't crack. crack. But, <laughs> no, it's important for us to find a way back home. Mm-hmm. I often liken it to an adopted child. You know, they would say an adopted child will always seek their birth mother. Mm-hmm. They just want to know whether they want the relationship with her right. or not. They just want to know. Yeah. Who is she? What's she like? You know, where do I come from? And I think that we all owe it to ourselves to have a pilgrimage back home. Absolutely. You know? Well, that's, For, yeah. that's why I, that uh, supporting organizations like African Birthright, you know, places... That, Birthright Africa. Birthright Africa yeah, yeah. that are driving you towards creating infrastructure, creating a path back for people to have that first experience. It's so critical to support people who have that as their mission because, I mean, I remember the first time hearing of such an that type of phenomenon in the Jewish community and thinking, wow, you know, this is being able to touch back the own... From there. The, the, it's the, amazing. It's amazing yeah, that there's the so much, there's, it, yeah. there's so much uh, process and infrastructure and just able to create a system where you can flow into that and have that experience and then 
come back and be part of the community in a different way. I think it's great to model after those kinds of examples where you know it's going to be a transformative experience yeah. and giving people the first chance to have that. Yeah, no, it's important. It's, it's, you can't go anywhere until, I feel like, until you get there. Um, not really anyway. Um, I think there's beautiful stories. Like we're talking about Ghana, how mm-hmm. W.E.B. Du Bois, mm-hmm. you know, even though we're playing Marcus Garvey yeah. clips, and I know they, they were very much at odds with each other. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. both thought the other was, you know, detrimental to our forward progress. Um, either way, both were Pan-Africanists. Yeah. Both believed that we needed to go back home, and W.E.B. Du Bois actually, his rest, final resting yeah, place was in Ghana. He went there, yeah. That's uh, that's beautiful. You want to tell me about that? Sure. Yeah, yeah. we went to. There's a museum dedicated to him, and uh, he and his wife are both interred there. And what is amazing is how prolific he was. It took us into his library, where I guess some of his original works are are housed, are kept. I mean, the man wrote something like over well over a thousand into the 1500s worth of books. Like, how do you have the time? To be a freedom fighter and write 1,500 books, I'll never know. But he was incredibly prolific. He had, you know, multiple degrees and honorary degrees, and they just had a sampling of some of his uh, accolades there. But as well, they took the time to include other sort of freedom fighters who were from other parts of the diaspora Mm -hmm. and have some of some played some homage to them as well. So you can see the interconnectedness of our struggle, that yeah. my brother's struggle in other African countries is my struggle in Trinidad, is my struggle in Jamaica. is my So it was quite beautiful to see just the continue, that, 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 that thought goes back to early on, earlier years, even though the system tried to separate us and keep us apart, there is something inherent in our shared blood and our shared yeah. bond that could not be broken. Well, anytime anything's trying to do something to you, it's because it doesn't want you to do the other thing because right. that's what you're supposed to be doing. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, we're, it's a diaspora. We're dispersed and we re- really need to reconnect. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Our image is a global one, you know, I any African will tell you on the continent, you might walk around and say, you know what, I'm Sudanese, I'm with my people, you feel a certain way, you can be at ease. You know, I get on a plane, I'm back in the States, I'm a nigga just like everybody Mm -hmm. else, you know? It's like getting in Europe, I'm getting followed around, I've been stopped in Miami because I'm pulled over because I'm the Haitian lady. Like, it's whatever they see you as. Our image is a global one, and we need to work on it together. There's a lot of things that we need to work on together. We don't have the the luxury of segmentation mm-hmm, right now. Mm-hmm. You know, that's when you're ahead. That's like, it's like, okay, we run the game. Now, all right, the women want to separate over there and fight for this on their... We don't, we don't have that luxury no, right no, now. No. I'm fighting for my sons and my daughters, you mm-hmm, know? Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, it's beautiful to see that you are able to actually see what was happening on the continent because the the struggle was global. Yeah. It didn't, it was Caribbean. Marcus Garvey was in Jamaica. Yes. You know, um, we, we have W.E. Du Bois. We have, we have, I cannot say that. <laughs> W.E.D. Du Bois. There's yeah. too many letters in the beginning. <laughs> Just say Du Bois. Just say du, du Bois. Du Bois. <laughs> um, uh, you know, all over the country, all over the U.S., 
you had all over the continent at the same time that civil rights was happening. Mm -hmm. You had country after country after country on the continent gaining independence, saying goodbye to colonizers. A new world order was forming. You had maniacs at the helm that were just as crazy as Trump and them. Mm -hmm. You Mm -hmm. know, like you look back through history, Truman was nuts. He was nuts. What's the difference between Truman and Trump? A lot. So for the first four letters. Yeah. But I mean... But, but, the, what, but what you're saying is profound. It, is we really have important. to look at it as a big picture. Yeah. And we have to look at it as, as we're, we're together in this. Something that you just said, that you said, reminded me of something we heard at the Kwame Nkrumah, who was the first prime minister and president of Ghana. Mm-hmm. His first speech um, he gave where his mausoleum now sits was the site of his first presidential speech. And or he was prime minister at the time, then later became president. But as they gained independence and he gave this, you know, very this landmark speech and the grounds where the speech was given and where his mausoleum now sits used to be grounds that were that uh, Ghanaians were not allowed on those grounds. It was uh, reserved for the British to play polo. Mm. So it was sort of the final thumb in the eye during independence was to actually give the speech to announce their independence was done on these grounds. And then now, of course, he's buried there. But when he gave his speech, and this is where the expression forward ever, backward never comes from, is from Kwame Nkrumah delivering this inaugural speech. Yeah, this is something that we were were told by the the tour guide. But who was in that? This was in the late 1950s, I believe like 1958, around that time. Who was in that audience but a young Martin Luther King? only a short time before he delivered the I Have a Dream speech. Wow. So you can you I would like to imagine that he sat, you know, amongst the dignitaries who were listening to this um, independent speech and was gained a little inspiration from that and came back to the United States to lead the march on Washington and deliver, you know, one of them on the eve of his holiday. Um yeah, I thought that was it's it's That's beautiful. It's supposed to be, you know, it's supposed to be. Uh, Kumasi Mm -hmm. is where you did your naming ceremony. Yes. What does that mean? Oh, I wish I brought my my kinti scarf. Um, So part of the tour was to go to the Ashanti community, which is one of the large African tribes, of course, and particularly dominant in that part of Africa and in Western Africa. So uh, Ashantis are a warrior class. They, as part of your induction, if you will, into the family in your coming home, uh, we were given our Ashanti names. So you're sort of, it's sort of a re- rebirth, renaming ceremony where we first go to, um, we were brought to the original sort of this house where we were given kente cloth and wrapped in the ceremonial kente cloth. Uh, And then we did the royal walk, as they call it. So we walked through the village, a short walk, and the children and other members of the village, you know, clapped and sort of sang as we all proceeded through the road, through the streets. And then uh, we came into a, a yard set up where they had one of the chiefs of the tribe and the queen mother, who actually... They're not married. So queen and chief of the tribe are 
although they rule over the tribe, they're actually not. They don't have necessarily have children together. The queen is the one who picks the next chief. So if the chief dies, it's not their children. It's not automatically passed down. So it's very interesting the way it's a, it's a, it's a matriarchy. So it's a maternally ruled um, tribe. At any rate, so we're sitting in the, we sit in a circle. They give us blessings and tell us about our process of being renamed. And we, each of us, based on your, the day of your birth and your last name, they give you a new name. So women the are day named. day of your birth. The date, the date, like if you're born on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Oh, Wednesday. the date. Okay. So. There are and your seven. Last name. Those, yeah, those are so. Those are called your soul names. Your soul name is tied to the day of your birth. So okay. I'm born. Uh, I was born on a Saturday. So my soul name is Amma, and then if a man is born on a Saturday, his soul name is Kwame. So you'll have yeah. every if all the male soul names start with a K and the women start with an A, and they're sort of phonetically tied. So the Am and Amma is tied to the Kwam Kwame. So okay. that's how they're together. So we receive a certificate and we're told, you know, that each of us has a significant to their name. Mine is peace and understanding is my, sorry, patience and understanding. That is my, uh, the meaning of my name, which is how I'm supposed to live my life according to those principles. That's fascinating. Yeah. Your, that your, your, yeah. your mission in life is to live into the, the meaning of your name. So huh. those are the principles That's and beautiful. values by which you should be guided. So I'm working on it. Patience and understanding. <laughs> yes. Now Africa's been sleeping, not dead, only sleeping. Today Africa's walking around not only on our feet, but on our brains. Tracy, final thoughts. What do you think we need to do to fix it? I think we have to think about building black excellence in every aspect of our lives. We have to make a more concerted effort to build black businesses, to support black businesses, because a lot of times is consumers in the diaspora, we don't give black businesses the chance to fail. We don't give them the chance to do better. We just cut them off because of one bad experience, but we don't treat other businesses that are run by people that don't care about our community that way, but yet still we're very hard on ourselves. And we will never move forward as a diaspora, as a community, if we don't build that as part of our reflex, that this is building up ourselves at the same time as we're building other businesses within the community. Thank you, Tracy. Thank you. That's our show. Thank you for joining us on The Brown CEO. Subscribe on iTunes or at thebrownceo.com. Biggest thank you to our wonderful guest, Tracy Solomon of Kaiso Cocktails. Um, ask your liquor store to carry their stuff, and if they don't already do. Um, otherwise, check out kaisococktails.com. All info available on our website. Thank you to our excellent sponsor, thebrowncrayonproject.com, and our family at the Brooklyn Podcasting Studio. I would like our our listeners to get to know you a little bit uh, better, and we're going to loosen up with a game called uh, Mm. Who's on Your Team? Oh. It's a family game we play. (laughs) Um, And... uh, yeah, you just have to choose one. You're CEO, you're building a team. Okay. Pick one. Those are the only rules, okay? Okay. Tea or coffee? Coffee. Michael Jordan or Michael B. Jordan? Ooh. Mm-hmm. I'm going to have to say Michael Jordan. Really? Yeah. Why? I don't, I mean, I would watch Michael Jordan highlight videos like it was my job. 
That's true. He's great. Michael B. Jordan would probably pick Michael Jordan. <laughs> I want to say yes. Right? Yeah. I'm say yeah, 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 yeah. Pie or cake? Oh, pie. Because you're delicious. Oh. Mm-hmm. Because cherry pie is my jam. Yeah. Dick Cheney or the Green Goblin? I'm going to say the Green Goblin. I can't pick Dick Cheney for any reason whatsoever. He lives forever, though. No? For now. Yeah. Until we I find gotcha. the antidote. Until I gotcha. we find you the antidote. You control the Green Goblin better. <laughs> yeah. Idris Elba or Denzel Washington? This might be an illegal question to it's, ask. Uh, I don't know if that's can, allowed. Can I say next question? You got to um, pick one. I'm going to pick Idris. I'm going to pick Idris Elba. <laughs> Don't be disappointed in me, Selma. Don't be disappointed. It's okay. <laughs> You're young. <laughs> Stewed chicken or crab dumplings? Oh, crab and dumpling. Come Woo! on. <laughs> Y'all don't know about Tracy's crab and dumplings with little Kaiso. Uh, Whitney Houston mm. or Aretha Franklin? Is that too soon? <sighs> that might be soon. You know what? I'm going to say Riri. Yeah. Because she, I did not know a lot about her origin story mm-hmm. until after she passed or was sort of in the last throes of living on this earth anyway amongst us and started reading about her deep, deep civil roots connections. And she was like a gangster. She was just like, oh, I, I have so much more respect, no pun intended, but just diving more into her life, I just fell down this hole of just wanting to know so much more about her. So... I'm saying Auntie Riri. Love it. Mm-hmm. Love it. Thank mm-hmm. you, Trace. You're welcome.